Welcome back to another edition of the WILX Sports Blitz Podcast. My name is John Gustin, and today I am joined with the one, the only, the Lansing Sports Authority, Tim Stout. Tim, how are you doing today? Good, thank you. Glad spring's here. Nice day. Oh my goodness. Better weather. Yesterday, we had, what, 80 degrees coming out yeah. of the morning show, and uh, right away, I, uh, I I found a convertible, and I just wanted to hit the road, and I wanted to enjoy the weather. It's been a long year. Michigan winters are also very long. This has been a very unusual winter we came out of, yeah. and then now, uh, where we are, uh, going to enjoy the weather. And had the top down yesterday, too. <laughs> what do you drive? Corvette. Corvette. Okay, yeah. I, I saw one parked out in front the other morning. I was yeah. wondering whose it was. So. I don't know if that was mine. I usually don't park out there, and okay. usually the top's never down. You can't have it down in Michigan. But finally, some respite after a bad winter, yeah. Yes, it is a lovely time. Spring is here, and with spring, that means we have the start of a lot of new things coming into growth and anew. For Michigan State, they had their quote-unquote spring game this past weekend. It was kind of a, a series of scrimmages. I believe the last spring game I went to was 2014, which was a traditional green and white game. They even ran Sparty up the middle for one play under D'Antonio. It was a good time. This was interesting. I had a chance to go to it. I was able to score uh, the free tickets that they put out before they uh, were all uh, sucked up. And I, I even noticed another wrinkle, too, that it looked like all the players, except for the quarterbacks because they were wearing red, had an additional like protective yep. layer on top of their helmets, yep. too. That looks very new. I've seen that maybe before for like concussion tests or, or preventative, but it looks like they're really taking uh, player health and safety uh, seriously in a whole new level this spring. The high schools have those. They use them in practice, not all the time, but when they're hitting each other, they do. You're going to see a lot less hitting in football, I think, moving forward, especially in the NFL. That's going to change dramatically, and... Uh, it was good that you got a chance to go. Whether or not there's going to be that many fans, more or less, coming up this fall, I guess, remains to be seen. I don't think anything's out of the woods yet. I don't think anything's off the table. And frankly, I didn't think there was a whole lot to watch because it was basically a practice more than anything else. And I've never thought spring football games here or anywhere else, for the most part, give you really a lot of indication what the record's going to be come the fall. you got a lot of guys that you know, are desperately trying to impress the coaches. And since Saturday, nine guys are in the transfer portal. And now today, one of the quarterbacks went in their Theo Day, so they're down to four quarterbacks, which is totally, uh, you know, understandable and predictable, frankly. So, uh, you know, Bell's going right to the portal. Every single scholarship he can find, he'll go find a veteran player somewhere else, which he's already done this week with a linebacker from Tennessee. He got a long snapper walk on from Detroit this week. I mean, I, I think in the new era, new age of college sports with this portal thing and with the transfers the way they are, you're going to see roster changes endlessly throughout the year other than signing days twice, uh, twice a year, you know, for high school players. And now you got high school players coming in, and he's looking for as much room for new players as he can find. It tells me he's convinced that after a 2-5 and five record last fall, they got a long way to go, and he says that himself. Yeah, and thankfully at least two of the wins were uh, mm -hmm. against very yeah. impressive teams or at least big-name teams, as it were. So Tremendously. Least, there's something there to build off of. But I think I saw, what, seven guys wearing red shorts throwing passes. I mean, not all of them are. I mean, most of them will be redshirting this year or not in the competition, but they just rotated bodies in and out through running back. I mean, the running back position, there's uh, multiple guys returning and or transferring in. Same thing with the quarterback. 
I couldn't really pick out anything besides Peyton Thorne looked uh, comfortable until he threw an interception late there. And then Russo, I, I knew he was a bigger guy, but he looked like a linebacker out there. I did not know he was that big of a build of a guy coming in. So that was an interesting contrast. I always think August is a much better barometer of what you have and, and uh, you know, and, and uh, who's going to play and who's going to start. I mean, they opened September 4th at Northwestern, so they opened with a Big Ten game against the Western Division champion. Even though they dominated Northwestern the last two years, they've struggled with them in the past, and Northwestern's got a lot of key players coming back. So, But I... I, I the spring, I think, is just get a handle on who you got and who you want to keep. And he made no, you know, he he didn't hide that at all. He 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 I mean he Mel Tucker mentioned all spring, you know, this is an audition for the most part. You're playing for your jobs, words to that effect. But I think in August, when you get three weeks right up to the start of the first game, that's where things get down to brass tacks. Uh, and I'm not convinced either one of those quarterbacks, from what I saw, has uh, an overwhelming handle or hold on the starting job. Uh, in fact, I think the other two, uh, Kim and um, Hamp Fay, I think those two guys, frankly, could still be involved in the you know a little bit, depending on how the whole thing goes. They, they need to run the ball better. I mean, I know they have veteran running backs, and I know they you know they made a few plays in the spring. But one way or the other, I think he – well, he used the word putrid for last fall. When you're in last place, there are a lot of things you must have done putrid. But we'll see how it comes in August, and we'll see who's on the roster in August too because we got a long way to go, and they got nine guys that are leaving now. Yeah, and, and more developments could happen from there. You never know what will change between now and August. We're talking about the transfer portal. Another Michigan State program is very familiar with that right now too. Michigan State basketball, yeah. it's not quite been an exodus. But there has been a significant amount from Hoiberg to Foster Lawyer to uh, Kithier and Rocket Watts. That's yep. four players who all contributed last year one way or another. And some of them more than others. Uh, some of them started a significant amount more than others. And uh, But there are players transferring in, too. What do you make of the significant shakeup? I think it's going to be the wave of the future. I mean, you've seen other schools across the Big Ten have got a lot of guys in the portal themselves and a lot of guys that they're bringing in via the portal. It's the wave of the future. Uh, I wasn't necessarily surprised by any of the guys Michigan State lost, other than I thought, and it may still happen, that there might even be more, uh, depending on how things play out and depending on who they bring in. Uh, you know, the best player of them all to me was Rocket Watts, even though he struggled at times dramatically this last year. I'm more interested to see where he's going to end up now, and I would have thought he would have ended up someplace immediately. And as we, you know, as we record this, he hasn't, you know, we we don't know where he's going to be. So stay tuned. We'll see. Yeah, what do you think? I know there was a report out there that Kentucky had been in contact with him as well. And most places it seems like when a player announces that they're transferring, They've probably had some communication beforehand. Yep. There's been some feelers out. Do you know or no, have any God, thoughts on I've, what might be the holdup? I've heard what you – I mean, I'm surprised. I would have thought with a player of his stature, you might have known even in advance where you were going to end up. I saw the Kentucky thing too, but I think if he was going to end up there, he would have been there by mm-hmm. now. Uh, you know, I don't know what his ceiling is. It's hard for me to tell – because there were times that, you know, he looked like the guy that we saw in high school, and there are other times he looked completely lost. But, you know, maybe getting away from Michigan State, new setup, new system, new start, play where he wants to play on the floor, 
you know, maybe that'll change for him. I'm not surprised by Kithier at Valparaiso. It's easy for his parents to go watch him play. He can play there. One surprised by Hoiberg at Arlington. Um, so, uh, yeah, but Watts is, you know, the key guy now as to where he's going to end up. Yeah, I think the moves made And lawyer, of course, too. Yeah, I think the moves made sense. None of those players were getting significant playing time. Or with Watts, he was getting yanked at the end of an NCAA tournament game. And if you're yanking a guy at that point, there's there's something happening yeah. there. And I can't, I mean, I I don't know enough about the transfer portal. I mean, he's up in the air. I don't imagine he'd come back to Michigan State no. at this point. There's no way that could no. that happen based off of just relationships and where everybody's at. I just think the... The, uh, how, where, and when on the floor he was in high school did not match where he was at Michigan State. And I don't think he was ever comfortable, uh, especially after Cassius Winston left. And, and he was targeted when he was on the floor. When he played with Winston, Winston was the guy that was targeted. And Watts wasn't the, you know, the central guy. Uh, but I don't think this is something that's unique to this year. I think next year there are guys everywhere. Uh, I mean, the turnover in, in college sports with this portal and and with a transfer rule where you don't have to sit out a year is going to be massive, uh, in my opinion. I just think you're going to see a bevy of it all the way across the line, even the best teams. You're going to see, especially the best teams, because the guys that don't play, look at who's in front of them, and they want to go, they're going, you know, I understand it. They want to go play. But they got to guess right as to where they're going to go, whether the first time or the second time in a transfer. Yeah, and, and I think it kind of makes sense with coaches being able to jump without any real – consequence that at least players get a a one shot and with with covid too it's been a just a lot of upheaval and a lot of changes last year doesn't count against anybody for playing so tyson walker he's coming in a transfer uh from northeastern uh, one of the more uh, coveted guard transfers are options he's got two years of experience i think it'll be good for michigan state to get uh, a more uh prototypical point guard i mean he is more of a scoring force first guard but he's got a little bit more shooting than Watts just based off his stats and his passing, averaging about five assists per game there. I think it'll be good for Michigan State to have, at least have a steady hand who can run the offense. I thought Lawyer, he could run the offense, but he was just too small and not able to hold up defensively for Big Ten play. Well, I haven't seen him play, and he's not coming from a major five conference, major six basketball conference. So the competition where he put those numbers up isn't nearly what it's going to be in the Big Ten. And he's not nearly going to have the practice acumen uh, and and the you know the competition and practices he's going to get at Michigan State. That said, they didn't take him to sit. So, you know, my read is Tom figures even with the adjustment that he's going to have to make. Look, the two guys at Michigan that transferred in, the one guy, he was from the Ivy League, and it worked out great for them. That doesn't mean that this will. And I'm not sure the guy's better than Rocket Watts, frankly. But until he plays, till you see him, till he gets in the system and all that, as I say, I guess you got to go with Tom on this, that he took him to play because they had a need at that position. And, boy, they hope he can fill it, too, because clearly it was a huge issue, as everyone knows, this last season. Now, with a team that has a lot of issues in a very unique way, the Detroit Lions. we got the NFL draft coming up this week. A lot of options. They've got a very early first-round pick. Do you have any thoughts on what they should do with that pick? Should they try to go for a receiver, trade back for more assets? I usually don't because with the problems they have every single offseason, I always think anybody they get is probably someone who might help them at any area of the field. But this year... I've thought they don't have a targeted guy necessarily at seven. 
And my sense is, is they would be better off given the fact that they've got so many uh, needs in so many other areas, especially defensively, that if they could find a team, even if they're on the clock tomorrow night, even if they're on the clock at the last moment, if somebody else is desperate to get number seven because these quarterbacks are all on the hunt, uh, I'd trade that and see if you can get more guys. I think they need quantity. Not, I don't think they're a guy or two or three players away. I mean, I think they know that. But the question will become, if they're considering that, is the offer they're going to get, is it going to make sense to them? The other thing is, is even if a team wants to trade and get their spot, are they talking about draft picks over the next couple of years? I've never been for that, per se, because in the pros, man, you got to deliver right away. And a, a first-round pick in 2023 is not going to help you. You need some – You need to me, you need bodies right now. It's too transitional a sport uh, as the pros are. And if they can get, you know, high draft picks that are correct picks, that's the other thing. Are you going to guess right or are you going to guess wrong? That said, watch them go pick somebody at number seven. Um, I don't think the mock drafts are are accurate because they don't anticipate the trades. And it appears to me that a number of these teams could be considering trades, especially in the first round the Lions are. But you don't know until you watch. Yeah, and especially with it looks like the top three quarterback situation is is set and figured out with everyone making their moves. The 49ers making the big splash there. You kind of know they're going to take there, but whatever quarterback shakes free – uh, maybe Justin Fields. I mean, wherever he he winds up, maybe if he slides, that could cause well, a lot of shakeups. I mean, changes. if one of those five is a va- let alone the Florida quarterback, who more and more people like, but he never gets mentioned. But nonetheless, if one of the big five is available at seven, is there a last minute rush to pick off whoever of the five is left? Uh, so we'll see. I mean, that's the intrigue of the draft every single year. And the positioning of these teams goes on. Well, it goes on right during the when a team's on a clock in ten minutes. Uh, I, I I would think the Lions would be open minded. I, I mean, if it gets to them and they don't have a trade deal, they'll know who they want because they can figure out pretty much who's available. But if there's you know if somebody gets to them and depending on who's available at seven, something happens right away. Stay tuned. Like I say, that's the intrigue of the draft. I wish it was five minute intervals like the NBA instead of ten. But nonetheless, a lot of people enjoy it because they like the NFL. Yeah, it, it, it's a spectacle. It, it's it's for TV, and it'll be fun. I, I think I'll just you know kind of have it on in the background. I'm not really too excited. Last year, I was thought they might do something interesting with the number third pick, maybe get a King's Ransom. We'll, we'll see how Akuda does. First year was definitely a rough one, uh, and there's a lot of transition, so who knows? Like I say, will they guess right or will they guess wrong? And clearly with a pick that high – if you finish 5-11 and 11 and he didn't play much by the end of the year because he was injured anyway, I mean, you need more productivity, in my opinion, if you're going to rise up out of uh, where you were. I mean, it's the whole impact of the draft. I think these five quarterbacks, almost all these teams are thinking of installing these guys right away as the starter, and it never used to be that way in the NFL. If you were a quarterback coming in and you were a high draft choice, you still had to play behind someone and learn the ropes as a pro. Now you see guys like Joe Burrow who come in right away, they fling them into the starting lineup and I mean he got hurt and got knocked out for the year but you know it's a you got to win for me now mentality and I think that's why all these quarterbacks go as early as they do when I didn't think it ever used to be that way yeah and and there's been mixed success you saw kind of uh, the same thing with uh, Herbert 
and then Tua was kind of a slow transition in there. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Maybe Detroit could have something similar. The other, continuing our lightning round, the other Detroit sports cat team, Tigers. They had an exciting uh, start to the season, and by exciting, I mean they were competitive, at least. They had a significant run differential, which to me was a big red flag. Akil Badu looked really hot. And then the bottom, uh, I wouldn't say it's dropped out. It's kind of somehow found a cliff in Detroit and just jumped in there. Well, they got 138 games to go, but I don't know if that's good news or bad news. You know, it's it's hard to tell. I've always felt that Cabrera's contract cripples them because until that contract is off the book, it's one thing if he was a four-time batting champion now, but he isn't. He can't play every day. He doesn't sell tickets. He has no speed. I mean, he's. I mean, but he's he's just killing them, in my opinion, financially. Uh, at the end of this contract, they're just hamstrung on making moves besides entry-level players hoping they'll get lucky. Some teams have been able to do it, but they're few and far between. I, you know, I, I just don't think they've gotten – I'm like everybody else. I mean, I, I, haven't, I, I just don't see where they're going to make any significant move upwards, and I don't see that anytime soon. I, I just don't see it, even though they've only played 24 games. Um, I just – I just don't think they have major league players and sufficient supply that are quality enough to get them to be a playoff contender like they used to be. When his contract's gone, you know, maybe that'll free up some possibilities for them to make some other moves with some veteran players because they don't ever go after free agents. They can't afford them. They, they're risky. They know they're risky. And they, like I say, they, their, their mindset has been to draft like crazy or acquire young players in any way they can that don't cost them a lot and then hope they hit the jackpot. Whether that's Badu or anybody else, it's too early to tell, I think. Yeah, and, and the rebuild's been in motion for a while, and there's I mean, there's maybe two or three pieces there right now, but it, it's uh, something else that they're this far into a rebuild and there's just not much to show for it. But we'll it, see. it'll come down to when they have that cash free. And, Miggy's contract's, what, eight years, 240? Yes, two more years at $72 million beyond this year. I mean, like I say, it's one thing if he wasn't an automatic out. I mean, I know he hit one last night and he hit it a mile, but, but, he, but how often is he going to do that? And then, he, you know, he's a liability in the field. He has no speed. He usually, you know, he has to take days off when they're on the road for the most part. I mean, they DH him now and then. I, it, I mean, it's a Band-Aid approach to a guy with a salary that's near the top of Major League Baseball, and they're just not getting that back. They were between a rock and a hard place when they gave it to him in the first place because the players' union is stacked. So the guys with his acumen, once they can become a free agent with what he was able to do, you knew they were going to hit the jackpot and the Tigers gave it to him. But I, I would never, ever sign a player who's going to be in 38, 39, 40 by the time the deal's done. You just don't get the same productivity. You just don't. And, um, and he's part proof of that, I think. Yeah, it's it just continuing the trend of that you've got a big-name player and you're, you're paying the guy based off of the name and past productivity, not necessarily the future. And you could look at it as an additional tax on the end of it. But it, you have to have an ownership group that can just kind of take that hit and move on later on. And I, I don't think that's Detroit. It's not like no. you can just set you know, $70 million on no. fire just for the heck of it. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Well, there's one more team that's applicable to mid-Michigan for baseball and their Hope Springs Eternal, the Lugnuts. They are back 2021. They've got, uh, they're letting 20% of their seats be filled. Lots of safety procedures in place. Uh, their opening day is next week. 
and I I don't know about you, but it until I went to the Michigan State spring scrimmage, it felt like I had been forever since I've gone to a live sporting event, and I am ready to be back in a ballpark somewhere. I'm ready to enjoy in a hot dog and a cold drink and out in the sun. I am ready to enjoy Lugnuts baseball, and they got a new affiliation, and the roster's not set. I don't think Monday they announced the team, but I'm really excited for baseball to be back in the city of Lansing, and I think it's it's a great thing for the community, and I think it's a great thing uh, in so many levels. Well, they're hoping that there are a lot of people like you because it's been difficult. They haven't played nearly two years. They do have a different setup. They have 10 fewer home games. However, I think playing in May instead of trying to get people to go when it's 40 degrees in April, the 20% number I don't think is going to affect a lot of their games, and it will continue to rise, I believe. There are probably a lot of people like you who feel the same way. Like you say, they have a new affiliation. They have a new name to the ballpark. Uh, This is their 25th year, so they've got a lot of uh, special days and special nights moving forward. Uh, They're popular in the area. They've been a great contribution, I think, to the community in a variety of ways. They're well-managed. They market the product well. Uh, So, hey, you know, play ball next week. uh, To me, what really helps them is when they can get people to come in good weather. When the weather's good, you know, especially when you get to the summer and the kids are out of school, it's a big deal. Now, whether COVID's going to play an impact, you know, part in this uh, remains to be seen. But again, the Lugnuts are hoping there are a lot of people like you, and probably there are. How they decide to go relative to the COVID restrictions, well, I guess we'll have to find out. I see the opening night weather is supposed to be in the low 60s, so that's good because I can remember opening days and nights <laughs> over there, which they made a big deal of it, but they would be playing in 39-degree weather, and it, it, it just does not work. I mean, there's just enough people that that's just not what they want to do. Uh, but this ought to be better in May, especially with a pent-up demand because they haven't played in two years. Yeah. I, I, in another lifetime, I used to work as a board op and associate producer at ESPN 100.9 and part of the Great Lakes Loons family. And so I was there working games yep. first thing up in March. And in Michigan, March, you still got snow. And so I yep. was always impressed by the real diehards who were out there. Yep. I think baseball uh, starting in May for Michigan makes so much sense, yeah. and I think it's perfect to to get the momentum right out the gate where you, hey, the season's starting, okay, cool, there's snow and ice. No, it's season starting, and we're talking about driving with the top down. So I think uh, going to a ballpark, hanging out with that weather, uh, knock on wood that they get a, a good summer for that and everything holds out well. And I think, too, with vaccination rates uh, going up and up, the restrictions, there's been hints that they could be dialed back a little bit more. They're hoping for that, too. I know the lug nuts that they can... I've got more events set later in the season for that. So I think there's a lot of hope and optimism, and hopefully uh, that can be well-founded with everything involved from both the team and uh, the state of Michigan and the country as a whole. I mean, whether this is a one-year deal of 120 games starting in May or not, they don't know. Uh, there's probably COVID impact. Major League Baseball controls minor league baseball. This was a COVID decision to start in May with a lesser schedule. But they're just a guy had to get back, so they're back. So we'll see how things go this year and then see what happens from there. Well, thank you so much, Tim. I really appreciate your time. And we'll catch you on News 10 at 6. Okay, good. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Again, that was Tim Stout doing the lightning round with me, talking everything from Michigan State basketball, Lions, Baseball, lug nuts, 
everything under the sun in the state of Michigan. We now move to the promised part one of our Lansing Lugnuts season preview. I get to talk with their assistant GM about what they have had to do to get a season set during a pandemic. How do you change things up? How do you make it safe? Capacity limits, uh, organization, shifting gears, all the random developments you have to deal with that are news happening with what's changing with regulations and getting set, keeping people safe. And I just also, hey, there's an unlimited meal plan. So there's a lot of fun things, a lot of interesting wrinkles. And I thought it was a pretty fascinating conversation on how do you pull off such a complicated structure in terms of sports and otherwise, and then throw in the dash of chaos that is a pandemic on top. And then we talk about a little bit too about beer scene in Michigan, how it ties into some ballparks, and then a little bit of baseball history as well. So here it is. Enjoy. This is our very special Lansing Lugnuts season preview. We're starting off from the executive side of things. Right now, I have the assistant general manager, Zach Clark. He has very generously made time out of his very busy day as opening day for the team is uh, weeks, uh, almost basically days away. Zach, thank you so much for making time. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and looking forward to talking some baseball with you. Now, I understand that you are originally from the areas. Uh, Can you introduce yourself a little bit to our audience? Yep. So um, I actually, yeah, I'm I'm local. Um, I grew up in Dansville, Michigan, went to um, Dansville High School, Um, graduated from Central Michigan uh, with my undergrad in sport management. And um, from there, I took my first job in sports as the assistant GM of the Johnson city Cardinals who um, are no more sadly, but were uh, the rookie league affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals in Johnson city, Tennessee. Um, I was there for three years and moved on to Asheville, North Carolina to become the sponsorship services manager of the Asheville tourists, uh, which was the uh, low a affiliate of the Colorado Rockies at that time. I was only there for a year and then went back to Johnson City to become the general manager of the Cardinals, Um, was the GM there for three years, Um, uh, one one COVID year included in that. Um, And then after, um, let's see, probably I've been here, I've been here in Lansing for about six months. So um, after that uh, COVID year and we started to um, transition the Cardinals into the new Appalachian League, the new collegiate woodbat format that they're in. Um, decided that it was time to to come home and and rejoin the uh, or join the staff here in Lansing and and um, do that. So I've been here for about six weeks with the Lugnuts as the assistant GM. And it is quite the time to step into that role. Opening <laughs> day for the Lugnuts Tuesday, May fourth versus a uh, Lake. County 7 p.m. Uh, first pitch there. So six weeks. Uh, you're really hitting the ground running, aren't you? Yeah. So that's one of the really nice things. Our GM uh, Tyler here is somebody who I've worked with for a long time. Uh, Tyler's a Dansville guy. Went to uh, Central Michigan as well. We worked together in Johnson City. Um, so there's a level of familiarity there already. Um, so coming here, yeah, th- it was uh, you know not the best timing and not the most ideal for sure. But um, being able to come here and hit the ground running, uh, understanding my expectations and what Tyler um, would have me do uh, before I got here was big so that we could just dive right in. Um, 
unbelievably talented crew here that uh, had a lot of the bones in place for the season already. So um, just, you know, for me, it was diving in, getting brought up to speed and trying to put my own touch and own spin on things as we got closer and closer to opening day here. And as you mentioned, um, you know, May 4th is right around the corner. And so um, <clears throat> we are, you know, we feel good. We feel ready. And, um, you know, I give that, I give the rest of our staff a lot of credit for, for putting us in the spot that we're in. And uh, we just couldn't be more excited for, for May 4th. Now, can you tell me a little bit about how does a team at least in Lansing with uh, there's a lot going on right now with unusual circumstances that in no way does uh, sports management. I don't think unless there is like in the fine print, I know there tickets for like concerts and events. It says act of God. And we're, we're kind of in that territory with, with a, what happened last year. It's you know, yeah. once in a hundred years. How are you guys running a team, a professional sports team in the middle of a pandemic? Because there's certain things like we've had to adapt at WILX with a lot mm-hmm. of remote technology and things like that. But you guys, you've cool. also got to get hands on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been um, obviously, you know, the most uh, difficult and demanding part of the job, you know, to this point is trying to understand, uh, especially moving states from Tennessee to Michigan, um, you know, how things are being uh, handled here from from the pandemic standpoint. Um, in Tennessee, things were a lot more open. Um, gosh, when I left Tennessee, we didn't even have a mask mandate in our county. So um, we weren't, you know, Tennesseans weren't wearing masks around Washington County. And um, the capacity limitations for, for the games down there were uh, at 100% as um, here that's at 20%. So the first thing for me was really to understand um, from a local and state um, standpoint what we were dealing with uh, with the pandemic and then to try to take that information and build it into um, the structure of our season and the things that we want to accomplish this year. Um, for us, it's really going to be the focus has truly been on welcoming the fans back to the ballpark safely. Um, you know, the the great thing about this fan base and the community that we live in, by and large, uh, our fans understand that our hands are tied on a lot of things and that things are going to be different, you know, um, and they have to be for, for, for safety. And um, so we've kind of taken that approach that, you know, hey, let's just do everything we can to bring the fans back into the ballpark safely. Let's try to get back to some normalcy. Yes, we'll only be at 20%, but we'll be playing baseball. We'll have fans in the stands, um, and we can do it safely if we follow the uh, state and local guidance uh, that we've been given. So, um, yeah, that I mean, you know, that for us has been the approach, and that's kind of how we've uh, attacked this. Um, and we've really tried to communicate with our fans as much as possible there's a lot of new things coming to the ballpark that fans won't be um, used to, but we're trying to put those uh, details out there. For instance, you know, the ballpark will be cashless moving forward. And there has been a lot of concern about, you know, if the ballpark's cashless, what if I, what if I don't have access to a card um, and how are we going to handle that? So we're, we've just been communicating um, those new protocols with our fans to let everybody know, Hey, if, if you don't have access to a card, we still have the ability to exchange your cash for something that's usable inside the ballpark and things like that. But uh, again, it's just been communication and, um, you know, safety, <laughs> really. That's That's been our approach. And, and we're going to have fun. You're going to have um, a lot of the, the promotions that you're used to seeing and, and the fun that you would expect when you come to 
uh, a game here in Lansing, you're still going to see all those things. It's just going to be socially distanced and, and, and safer. <laughs> now to get slightly inside baseball here, you guys were probably along off for of the ride as much as we were with the capacity limits have changed quite drastically from being a hard cap based off of, you know, only hundreds of so seats to then with, uh, there was a push kind of with the tigers opening day and that that was recently announced, I mean, not too long ago, that it could then be a percentage-based. How were you guys trying to plan and adjust with, you more or less had a moving target from uh, probably both sales, but then what you're trying to do to get set up, and then the feasibility of fans in the stands? Yeah, so that's a great question, and the best way that that we can say, um, you know, our approach to that was we, we basically created um, boundaries and guidelines for uh, 100 people, for 10%, 20%, 25%, 50%. Um, any capacity early on um, that we thought we might get, we built a plan for, whether that was our seating bowl uh, capacity, whether that was our budget, whether that was our sales numbers, whether that was um, you know some food and beverage numbers, things like that. We built out a plan for you know, any conceivable capacity limitation that we were going to be faced with and um, basically prepared for, you know, a a variety of options. So right now, like you said, the Tigers were kind of instrumental in opening things up to 20%. So we took that 20% plan and that's what we're running with right now. Um, we, We feel strongly and we believe that as the season moves on, um, and we get later into the calendar that this might open up a little bit. Um, so we're very hopeful of that. So we've built, you know, a 50% capacity plan, a 75% capacity plan. What would things look like at hundred percent so that when those things happen, we can just grab that plan and just start going from there. Um, so that, that made a lot of, you know, that made a lot more work for us, but that was the best way we knew how to make sure that whatever capacity we were asked to be at, we could safely handle. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was thinking that the the logistics of trying to come up with multiple plans, yeah, it is extra work, but it really yeah. for the feasibility of it, it I'd imagine it would have kind of been interesting experience, almost like an exclusive experience, uh, just in my mind of like 100 people there, but also that would be a, a little quiet of a stadium too. Yeah. So, well, and I would say, I would add to that, you know, last summer where uh, this the team here did the Lemonade League, you know, that gave them a really good look inside what a, what 100 uh, person capacity would look like and how that would go. Um, so we kind of felt really strong about that plan at that level. So if it, if it never went up from 100, we knew we were OK. We knew that we had a plan in place and we kind of saw how that worked last summer with the Lemonade League. Um, so a lot of the eggs went into the 20 percent basket, really hoping that we could get to that level. Um, and so, you know, we kind of. um I don't want to say we took a shot in the dark because that was that's not it. But we really put a lot of our eggs into that 20 percent basket and hoped that we could get to that point. And we did. So that helped a lot, too. So can you walk me through a little bit? I know we've got 
the 20% capacity, there's going to be masks, there's going to be social distancing, there's cashless. What other uh, precautions and features and maybe even technology have the lug nuts set up to make the fan experience? But, well, it's outdoors, so that's going to be a huge help for fresh air. But what else have you guys been able to do to try to uh, put people at, at ease and then, you know, know that you guys are doing your part as well? Yeah. So the biggest thing um, right off the bat is going to be the mask policy. Um, Masks will be required uh, inside the stadium at all times unless you're actively eating or drinking at your seat. Um, You know, that's going to be a tough policy to enforce, uh, but it's one that we have to be strict on. It's just it's just the way things have to be right now. Um, So we are going to be very vigilant about that and make sure that people are wearing their masks. Um, the stadium is socially distanced. The seating map is drawn and put into the back end of our ticketing software. Um, so that when you purchase a ticket, you already know that that ticket's socially distanced and safe. Um, whether you have one, two, three, four, five, six tickets, whatever the case may be. Um, we have drawn out a, a map inside the ballpark that will, will keep you safe and, and keep you socially distanced. Um, as for the seating, uh, seating bowl, where we won't have fans, those seats will be roped off. Um, so there shouldn't be any confusion as to, you know, where to sit and things like that. If you, um, you know, if you look at your ticket, the ticket will be numbered. The rest of the seats will be roped off. So it should be pretty easy to find your seat there. Um, I briefly mentioned cashless. That's a big change for us. Um, you know, a lot of fans and a lot across the country, a lot of um, sports fans uh, probably have noticed that some teams have been going cashless anyways. I think this was probably going to be a major trend in sports with or without the pandemic. The pandemic just kind of made it a little bit easier. And we, you know, we completely understand that not everybody has access to a card um, and, and that cash is just easier for some folks. Um, and maybe if we go digital with our ticketing software that people don't have the technology maybe on their phone to, um, to use that technology, but we will always have a plan in place. We will always be inclusive of everybody um, inside the stadium here. So for, for cashless, for instance, if you have cash, you know, we, we have the ability to sell you lug loot. We have the ability to sell you gift cards. We will have prepaid visa gift cards for purchase uh, a number of options all across the ballpark for you to exchange your cash. Um, we just really want to limit that for an, a variety of reasons. Um, It'll make um, wait times shorter. Um, we won't have to deal with change. Money won't be changing hands. So there's a big safety um, change there. The other thing that we did is we purchased a platform called Stay Seated. Stay Seated is a, a mobile app that you can download on your phone where you can order food and drinks right to your seat. So if you're not comfortable standing in line, even if it is socially distanced and we're six feet apart in line, if you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can pop up the uh, Stay Seated app and order your food and drinks right to your seat, and we'll bring that to you. So, uh, um, so yeah, ba- oh, <laughs> batting cage side service. Uh, that yeah. I I remember hearing something years and years ago about how when Nintendo was a co-owner of the Mariners out in Seattle, that they like the Nintendo DS before smartphones were a thing. People could use a little touchscreen gaming console to order food. It's interesting how decades later it's, it's turning into something that's not just a novelty, but almost now a a necessity uh, and an extent too to keep people spaced out. Now, do you get any assistance from the, the lug nuts? They're not, you're not a part directly of, 
you know, a large corporation or a franchise where there's technology that can be rolled out and developed for one store like McDonald's. They've got all their stuff set mm-hmm. through corporate and it goes out to a bunch of other places. How much uh, assistance have you gotten from LMB? Has there been a lot that's just been developed locally or uh, kind of tech from the community? Like you even mentioned the ticketing software. Something I was just thinking there of that is that that's something either the ticketing software would have to update to make sure you have social distancing spacing or something you guys would have to get from someone designed for it or even tinker with it yourself. So I'd imagine there's a couple different like quirks that it comes to uh, this whole unique situation. Yeah. Yeah. So we've had a lot of help. So the, the MILB community um, is, is one big brotherhood. We're all here to help each other out. You know, we have rivalries on the field and we want to beat each other when we play, but um, there, there's really no secrets between teams um, anymore. So uh, we talk a lot and um, you know, we have a lot of contacts in the industry from different places that we've been and, and, you know, from fighting some of the same battles that we fight where we can reach out to other teams and say, Hey, how are you handling, you know, how are you handling cashless? Um, how have you, how has your fan base responded to cashless? Um, what are some of the things that you guys are doing? So right there, that's a big benefit for us to have 120 other teams that are, that are trying to handle the same problems that we're trying to handle to be able to talk to them and see how they're doing it and then tweak things to work better for us here in Lansing specifically. Um, beyond that minor league baseball and major league baseball also have uh, a lot of firepower um, when it comes to creating partnerships and helping us. Um, so with our ticketing platform, uh, excuse me, my, our ticketing platform, um, you know, we use tickets.com, all the other teams in minor league baseball that use tickets.com, they have the same problems. They have the same needs. So it's in that regard, sometimes it's easier for minor league baseball to go to TDC and say, you know, Hey, here's some of the problems that they're facing, or this is what's coming down the line that they're going to need. Can you go ahead and develop that now? And generally the answer is yes. So um, those things have helped a lot. Um, The big thing, you know, the big message though, I mean, you know, from a pandemic standpoint and all the changes that we're making and, and with every industry across, you know, the, 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 the landscape is, you know, we're learning right along with everybody else. Um, so the nice thing there is that by and large, our fan base have, has been extremely patient with us, very understanding of the changes that we're trying to make. Um, you know, the businesses that we're working with, whether that's our ticket platform, whether that's, you know, somebody like Stay Seated or, you know, any partners that we use, uh, same thing. They, they're having to be as creative and as flexible as possible. Um, so we're all in this together and that's really taken us a long ways and and really helped us get to opening day here. Now, can you tell me about some of the events and promotions you have coming up with everything being quiet so often? It's really exciting looking at the ballpark. There's unique opportunities with the season ticket package to do the all you can eat buffet. You're still going to have giveaways. There's still going to be special nights. What are, are some of maybe your favorite things that are coming up? And then uh, what has been like the most pleasant surprise that you guys are able to pull off uh, all the complications considered? Yeah, so I don't want to spill too much because we haven't announced our promo calendar yet. Um, We're still working on that. But what I will say about that is our fans can still expect to see their their favorites. So Friday and Saturday night fireworks, um, Thirsty Thursdays, um, uh, you know, Dog Days of Summer, uh, where you can bring your dog to the ballpark, you're still going to see all of those nights. 
Um, we still will have giveaways. We're still going to do um, four bobbleheads for the 25th anniversary of the lug nuts. That was announced in 2020 that we couldn't do. Um, so the, the, the thing that I just genuinely am the most excited about is being able to get back to baseball. Um, the, that's kind of a, you know, a coach speak, if you will, but um, it's just true. We've had such a hard year. I mean, just as, as humans um, going through this pandemic and trying to figure this all out that we need some normalcy. We need to get back outside and enjoy some baseball and some entertainment. So to me, you know, we're going to have an amazing promotional calendar. We're going to have a lot of fun this summer um, that people are going to be really, really excited about. And they're still going to see, of course, their their usual favorite promotions and things like that. But the thing that I genuinely am just most excited about is opening those gates on May 4th and just bringing people back in the ballpark, um, trying to get back to normal, trying to feel like, you know, we're we've made it through and 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 the pandemic is, you know, not going to hinder us any farther um, and that we can, you know, we can, again, just get back to normal. So um, I know that's a little open-ended, but uh, I can't spill the beans too much on any specific promotions just yet. I will say that the promotional calendar is backloaded, though. So at the beginning of the year, the promotional calendar is a little bit slower, but that's by design. Um, because what we're hoping is, like I said, by, you know, July, the 4th of July area, area right there on the calendar that we're a little bit more opened up. And with the gates reopening and welcoming the fans back, you also get to welcome back the players into the diamond and let them take the field and just be a part of the community again. What is the lug nuts and really minor league baseball uh, requiring of players? How do you handle the situation like this? The NBA most famously did a bubble in Orlando initially before vaccines were available. There are now organizations uh, across the country. Every day you see a new team, you know, they've had a chance to get their shots through the organization and yep. then for uh, they can, you know, be a little bit more comfortable and relax some things. How is minor league baseball handling this? How is are, are the lug nuts players handling this, too? Because not all of them live in the area. A lot of them are coming from out of town They're They're not necessarily maybe. Uh, from the country or this part of the country. So there's uh, sometimes host families. And this time around, I'd imagine there's a lot of uh, additional levels, not just from ballpark safety you guys have dealt with, but now personnel. Yeah. Yeah. So the players really are going to be in a bubble um, for most of the season, uh, regardless of like capacity limitations and the state and local government and things like that. That's more of a major league baseball decision. Um, so by and large, what you'll see with, when it comes to the players is a lot of extra measures for safety protocols for them. So, uh, from the front row of the stadium, um, right now we have a, a, a limitation that the, the first 15 feet, which is about two or three rows up are off limits, um, to create a barrier for the players. Um, so that's, that's one change. That's going to be big. That's going to be hard. Um, uh, major league baseball is not allowing like autographs and things like that, um, to take place. So really the players are going to be in a bubble and they're going to be pretty well, um, protected from, you know, the fan base and things like that. Now in talking to the A's and, and a lot of, uh, 
uh, our counterparts in minor league baseball and their affiliates, it does sound like the majority of the guys will be vaccinated before they get here. Um, so we do feel good about the, um, you know, the spot we're at with that, where the players, you know, the players should be vaccinated, the coaching staffs and things like that. Um, and then they'll be in a bubble. So our hope is that we don't have to do any long pauses or any cancellations uh, due to COVID because, you know, the guys will be in a bubble um, and, and they will be vaccinated. So um, other than the, you know, the first couple of rows of the stadium being locked off, um, you, you won't see any uh, promotions on the field to begin the year. Um, that's, that's another major league baseball requirement that uh, they don't want. Um, they don't want anybody on the field. Um, if we do anything on the field, it'll be when the players are gone essentially. Um, so for instance, we do have clearance to do kids run the bases on Sundays during our kids days, but the players, we won't be able to allow people on the field until all of the players have cleared the dugouts. So, um, just really, just really making sure that, you know, they stay in their bubble, that they stay healthy and, and, you know, out of harm's way, so to speak, when it comes to, um, barriers and bubbles and things like that, we're going to be very cognizant of. But, um, you know, hopefully as we move past this season and beyond, those things will get back to normal. Um, just, you know, for us, that's again, that's just another um, piece of red tape that we have to deal with this year. And, you know, we'll get past it and, um, you know, we'll work beyond 2021 for the autographs and on-field promotions and things like that. May I ask what you guys are doing for the housing situation, bringing such a large yeah. group of people together? You said vaccination, that, that'll help quickly, but, you know, sometimes yeah. there's, you know, a waiting period of putting somewhere where, you know, you kind of yep. need, need to be isolated to watch for symptoms. I know uh, initially when the wound started up, they were really big into welcoming host families to just help someone give yeah. a base in the community. This time around, you're talking about you got to limit the contact with people in and outside of that. I'd imagine, I mean, do you have like a large scale... I mean, it almost seems like you need a whole apartment complex just for these uh, group of young men who are coming into town. Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. And the best way to answer it is it really depends on the affiliate and their beliefs on housing. So, for instance, Oakland, um, their stance is that the guys are on their own. They need to find housing and they need to figure it out. So we put together a few options for them and, um, you know, try to work with different apartment complexes, different hotels, if the guys want to pay to stay in a hotel and things like that, um, you know, at a, at a cheaper rate and stuff. Uh, so it, uh, it looks like um, right now, the majority of the guys are probably going to stay in a hotel um, and, and handle it that way. So, um, you know, Oakland's not big on host families. I think they've actually um, said that they don't want the guys to stay in host families. Uh, for a variety of reasons, but again, keeping them in a bubble and keeping them um, safe and healthy, um, putting them in a host family might put them around new people and people that, you know, they don't know. And if there's just, if you're just not really careful, that can cause problems. So um, that really does go on a case by case base basis per the affiliate and who you're working with. And that's been kind of Oakland's approach. So that's what we've done. Um to take that a step further, there's also um, per uh, Major League Baseball and the affiliates, um, there will be a list of um, employees and staff members that are 
basically welcome into that bubble and um, you know, who, who can be there and who can't. So, um, and there's a, a laundry list of, of um, uh, pro- protocols and procedures for those individuals that if they are going to be, you know, around the clubhouse, around the players, around the coaches that they have to follow for them to be cleared to be on this list. So um, they're taking it very, very serious. They're, they're being very, very cautious and rightfully so um, because, you know, these guys lost a summer of development last year. Um, they really, you know, ev- nobody wants to see them lose another summer, What you know, for any reason. So uh, they're just being very, very cautious with that, you know. Now, what are the just the testing protocols? I mean, the vaccine is going to make things a lot simpler for the most part based on CDC guidelines. If everyone's vaccinated, everyone can just hang out without a mask. You don't have to worry about social distancing. Uh, there's not a quarantine period with exposed, but that'll take a while before that can happen. Are, are you guys having to test on a somewhat regular basis? And then how do you handle it if there is like a, just a presumptive positive or something like that? Yep. So uh, that's a good question on the player side of things. I'm not entirely sure how they're going to handle that. That would be more, um, you know, that would be a little bit more on the Oakland side um, than it would be for, for us. Um, I'm sure there will be a quarantine period if, if there's a close contact or a positive test and things like that, but I'm not entirely sure um, exactly on those procedures. So I would be, I would be hesitant to say, um, from the Lugnut standpoint, from our front office staff and game day staff and things like that, you know, we'll certainly follow the same protocols that we have been following where, you know, uh, close contact is an automatic 10 day isolation. Um, you know, same with a positive test. If, if you get a close contact, um, we ask that, you know, you come back with two, uh, well, for our full-time staff, we've been asking for a negative test. Most people have been getting two, um, you know, we take temperatures, uh, we wear masks at all times inside the office. Um, so, we, we, you know, we've taken every procedure or precaution that we possibly can with our staff to be safe. Um, we've strongly urged our staff to get vaccinated. And I believe um, the majority of our staff outside of one or two will be fully vaccinated by opening day. Um, so we feel good about that. And again, you know, we'll just keep taking temperatures, washing hands, wearing masks, um, any close contacts outside of the office will result in a, a, a you know, a, a required 10 day um, isolation quarantine and a positive test obviously will be the same. That's that's really good to hear that you guys have been able to. I know the vaccines are starting to become more and more available, but that's really awesome. Yeah. You guys yeah. have been able to uh, be that uh, successful uh, with that. So that's awesome to hear. Yeah. Baseball. It, well, Today, as of recording, this is April 21st, and uh, Detroit got snow. I saw some snow flying off cars. So, I mean, it's not quite – I mean, well, actually, this is very much Michigan spring, where you always get that last final snow before you're you're fully in the warmer weather. So it's going to be great to be back out in the ballpark. And (laughs) the the start time and the game times and the scheduling, I'd imagine uh, looping into the bigger picture, that's been somewhat fluid as well. I'm looking at it over the years. The Lugnets usually have played about 130 games. There's about, I believe, 60 games scheduled for home this year. So what has that kind of happened with the adjustment of a little bit of you get to have a lot more games than, you know, it's not a quite shortened season, but there's just definitely been some changes in start times and things like that. Yeah, so that that kind of stems from um, a different, you know, kind of a a non-pandemic 
situation. So uh, Major League Baseball has kind of um, came in and, and um, made a few changes with, with Minor League Baseball. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the contraction um, that happened where um, minor the minor league baseball system went from about 170, 160, 170 teams down to about 120 teams. Um, that change, by and large, also brought about a schedule change. So um, our season at the at the high A level, well, I'll even take it a step. I'll take it back. Take it back a step. There, we went from low A to high A last in 2019 and 20 would have been 2020. We would have been low a now we're a high a affiliate we've switched affiliations as a part of this contraction and major change that major league baseball has brought about um but as a result has also changed our schedule so they they lengthen the season um over the calendar but they've also short they've also taken games off the schedule to allow for more rest so if you'll notice this year we won't play any monday games all the mondays are off days for the players um it builds in um, some more natural rest for them. It gives, you know, it gives everybody um, just more time. It just felt like they were trying to play too many games in too short a time span. So they, they, uh, they, sh- they shortened the number of games, but they lengthened the season. Um, now we'll start in May, whereas in the past we would have started in April at this level. Um, but we'll also end later in September than we ever have. So that's just a change that was brought about by Major League Baseball to kind of help with development and give the players um, what they need to develop and develop properly. And um, rest and, and, and uh, time off was a big part of that. So that's how they built that in. Um, the other unique or interesting you know, change that was brought about um, for this year, uh, especially was, you know, the six game home stands, that's a little bit different. So we'll, we'll play Lake County for the first six games of the season, as opposed to a three game series, every now and then you'd see a four game or a two game sprinkled into the schedule. This is a much more balanced schedule and they have split the high A central into East and West divisions to keep the teams closer together. So although we do travel to, I believe Cedar Rapids at one point, which is pretty far. That's only one trip. And, um, you know, we, we won't play certain teams on the schedule. Like I don't think we play quad cities, for example, I don't think we play Beloit and some other teams. So um, it's a, it's a much more uh, localized schedule. Um, The, the, the travel is shorter. The rest days are greater. Um, So that was a, a big change brought about by major league baseball. Um, not necessarily related to the pandemic, but um, a change nonetheless. Now, I'm going to close out with two final questions. Uh, these are personal questions for you. Okay. Well, right. here, I'll, I'll give three. One, what is your favorite item on the ballpark menu? Oh, let's see. Now, that's a good question because here in Lansing, um, you know, I have to get used to a new menu. So what's uh, the best thing you've ever had at a ballpark? Let's go with that ballpark. one. All right. Um, oh, that's such a good question. So probably my my go to and it's going to sound pretty lame, but I and when we were in, when I was in Asheville, we had a cheesesteak cart and the cheesesteak uh, cart that they had there. They had a buffalo chicken cheesesteak there. That was incredible. Um, so that's probably my favorite thing. Um, but I mean, you can't beat a hot dog. And so as long as 
um the ballpark has a good hot dog i probably that's probably going to be the first thing i get in any new ballpark just to see what they're bringing uh from a hot dog standpoint now i have to ask Asheville is i I just had a chance to actually visit by the other uh a couple weeks ago i had a timeshare that i bought last february at a pistons game like a vacation package and then they lecture you to try to get you into buying a timeshare and last february was the perfect time to buy a travel package in uh, american history um, so it was set to expire. I went down, um, to Sapphire, North Carolina to go to the mountains and try to be socially distant. But luckily I went with a family member and they and I were both fully vaccinated at that point. So okay. we were really impressed to see how uh, well everything was ha- being handled in the South of Louisville, the bourbon trail, and then Asheville been there a couple of times. It has the reputation of beer city. I would imagine do the Asheville affiliates have a, a pretty good craft variety there. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of great breweries in Asheville, and and being a Michigan guy and uh, having uh, the the rivalry uh, with Grand Rapids um, was pretty fun being in Asheville for that year um, because everybody kind of knew I was from Michigan, so they wanted to know if if Asheville was Beer City or if Grand Rapids was Beer City. But um, I always pled the fifth, but <laughs> Asheville had um, New Belgium. Uh, was very good, uh, very good brewery there. Highland, um, you know, the big one, Sierra Nevada out there. Um, some of these breweries set, set in these mountains, it's, it's incredible. So um, the beer there was very, very good. Um, but, you know, being back home here in Michigan and, and being in the home state, I think I can safely say that I always, I always thought Grand Rapids was, um, was Beer City. But uh, I, I definitely understand why Asheville is in the mix there. For sure. Now, what uh, I see a picture behind you. Uh, yeah. Shoeless uh, Joe gloves. Now, yeah. is that your poster or is that a poster that's already been up? No, that's a poster that I brought there. That's um, so when I was in high school, actually, I used to work at Johnny Max Sporting Goods and I don't think they're they're here in Lansing anymore. Um, but that was a uh, it was kind of a team sporting goods store where, you know, you could order you know, uniforms and, you know, you could also shop in retail there if you needed, you know, a new glove or if you needed a bat or what, I mean, any sort of team sport item that you could want. And uh, I just always thought that this poster was cool. Um, And we sold Shoeless Joe gloves there back in the day. So um, when they eventually took the poster down and they were like, hey, does anybody want that? I, I was like, I would love to have it. So I kept this poster and then it's just kind of followed me around, um, you know, since then. And it was one of, when we were in college at, at CMU, it was one of our um, we, we hung this poster up. And for whatever reason, everybody was always drawn to that poster. So um, I've always kept it with me and I hung it up. I hung it up here in the office uh, when I was when I was in Tennessee. I never I didn't really have it up or didn't have anywhere to put it. But when I came back here, I saw that I had room for it. So I was like, I'm going to stick it. I'm going to put it back up and send a picture of it to all the old college roommates and buddies. And everybody's like, I can't believe you still have that poster. So it's just kind of got, uh, some sentimental value. Um, but yeah, really no meaning behind it. I just thought it was cool. Yeah. I didn't know if shoeless Joe Jackson was like your favorite player. Cause that's where I was going <laughs> to go is, uh, who is your favorite player? And I didn't know if maybe that was a, a good shot in the dark there. No, well, I don't even, I don't know if that's. I, yeah, I don't think so. Shoeless Joe. I, 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 mean, I mean, all I see is kind of like black and white and a, 
uh, a person looking yeah. at the camera directly with a glove in their left hand and they're just kind of the, the ball on their right and they're just looking yeah, straight on. Moose. It says Moose on their jersey with an S on the cap. So I don't, yeah, but um, I don't know. I just always thought it was just a cool old photo and um, always kept it with me. But my favorite player, that's such a, that's a great question. I mean, um, Miguel Cabrera, uh, he's always been, you know, he's always been my guy, um, since he's been in Detroit. Um, I feel like that's such an easy one though. I, I mean, you know, I don't, you know, I, but it's hard. I mean, it's hard not to love Miggy. He's such a, he's such a good, you know, good teammate. Um, obviously I think he's the best hitter that we will ever see, or even our grandkids would ever see. Um, I mean, I think he was that good. So, um, I'm a huge Miguel Cabrera fan. Um, I have some like weird uh, favorite players that I've always been drawn to. Like Tim Lincecum uh, was one of my favorite players forever. Um, I love Dontrell Willis even before he was a Tiger. Um, I always I always like to watch those guys pitch. Um, so Justin Verlander, of course, I uh, loved loved watching Justin JV. I was so so happy for him when he ended up in Houston and won a World Series, and then the uh, the scandal broke. So I don't know how I feel about that anymore. But um, you know, I was happy for JV. Um, but yeah, I would say o- overall, I would say it's got to be Miguel Cabrera. He's probably my favorite. My two that I go to when I first think MLB players that have a connection to me, it would be the when I was going to a lot of Loons games. I grew up in Midland. And I got to see Clayton Kershaw and D. Gordon yeah. as a single A uh, players, and they were absolutely dynamite. Yeah. Pitching, maybe you can't quite tell. Like you just knew this guy's really, really good. He's striking everybody out. Let's see what he does when he gets to better bats. Yeah. But D. Gordon at that time, I mean, it felt like he was batting four hundred or something crazy, and he was just so athletic. And he could yeah. get a, a ton of steals, which baseball maybe doesn't quite have as much anymore. I know that there's a new proposal to try to encourage more steals to get that back in the mm-hmm. game. But to have those two players who, uh, in my hometown and to see them, yeah. you know, for just a six dollar lawn seats, go out there and see them. And then they they take off from there. That to me uh, would be the immediate personal uh, favorites I can think of off the top of my head. I mean, there's a ton of greats over history and definitely. Miggy is bad yeah. is is something else because you always, peak Miggy you knew if something was coming straight at him he yeah. he would take it, not take it out like nobody else could. Yeah, I mean it was it's unbelievable to see a triple crown winner. Um, you know, just I mean it's unbelievable to think, you know, what he was able to accomplish and I think with the era of greatness that is, you know, that we are surrounded by in the last couple of generations, I mean you think of Michael Jordan and LeBron and Kobe and Tiger and Serena. Um, you know, I think I think sometimes like we're spoiled by greatness and we don't understand how good some of these athletes actually are, and we just take it for granted because, you know, Miggy, for instance, you know, as good as he was and all the things that he accomplished, you know, did he ever reach the LeBron level of stardom or even Mike Trout or, um, you know some of that, you know, some of that, those guys, um, you know, he never did, I don't think, but it's, it's hard to fathom that he didn't because of how good he was. And maybe, maybe part of that's because baseball is, you know, maybe not as popular as football or basketball, but, um, you know, I think we're so spoiled from the last couple of generations of, of greatness that we've seen. I mean, Tiger, 
uh, was unbelievable to see what he was doing. Michael uh, Jordan, obviously, is Michael Jordan, but LeBron and Kobe, Serena, Tom Brady. I mean, these are once-in-a-lifetime things that, we, you know, you just don't expect to see ever again, and, and it's incredible. But, you know, you, then you look at a guy like Miguel, and it's like, man, how is he not just automatically populated into that list? And maybe Albert Pujols even and some guys like that. But, yeah, that's, you know, it's – I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty passionate about baseball and, um, you know, sports in general. But Miguel Cabrera is is one that I'm just floored that he's not more, you know, synonymous with greatness. Well, Zach, it's been an absolute blast talking baseball with someone who's not only working as a, a professional in the industry of baseball, but someone who's as passionate as well. Uh, yeah. I've had a lot of enjoyment talking about all these different nuances we've definitely gone inside and outside and around baseball and throughout the ballpark now you've hinted that there's a few things to come uh, with a promotion schedule and things like that where can people go to make sure they're getting the latest information on the lug nuts and what can they be on the lookout for yeah so um i will say that single game tickets did go on sale today so if you're looking for uh, single game tickets, even a mini plan, um, season tickets, things like that. The best way to find those is at lansinglugnuts.com. Um, all of our information is going to be there as well. So whether you're looking for the schedule tickets, um, we've got some employment opportunities. We've got merchandise. Um, lansinglugnuts.com is going to be a great spot for that information. And then follow us on our social media. Um, our social media is very active and you're going to see a ton of uh, cool content, whether it be baseball related from the A's or the lug nuts, whether it be um, contest related, we're doing a lot of giveaways right now. Um, you know, all the information that you'll need for our outside events, you know, uh, we just came back and announced the Nitro Circus date will be October 1st. So all your Nitro Circus information will be pushed out on social, all your game information will be pushed out on so. Find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, and definitely head to lansinglugnuts.com, and you can get all the information you need. Well, Zach, thank you so much. It's been a blast, and I hope to talk to you and see you uh, not too uh, down the road from now. It's going to be a great time to be back in the stadium. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. This was a blast. Uh, Look forward to meeting you. Um, Come on out, and uh, let's keep in touch. Go Lugnuts. That's right. Go Nuts. Again, that was Zach Clark, the assistant general manager for the Lansing Lugnuts, the Oakland A's high A, single A affiliate. That's a lot of A's in there. But, hey, A, bad joke. (laughs) Please forgive me. But I'm really excited to have baseball back. Hopefully the weather's going to hold up for opening day. And I had an absolute blast talking with him. I will next be heading to the stadium to do a player preview. The roster will soon be announced, I believe, on Monday. And we'll have everything set to go from there just in time for you to listen to it and then head to the ballpark for opening day. So, again, I want to thank you all for listening. Please follow WILX on Facebook, Twitter. Just search WILX. Pretty straightforward. Follow from there. You can follow me on Twitter at JGustin113. That's J-G-U-S-T-I-N-113. There's even now a blue check mark, which is a lot of fun. Very interesting to see how that changes Twitter dynamics, too, on it. You can also follow me on Facebook, uh, John Gustin. I just searched John Gustin News. You can like my page there. It's got all the latest happenings for Michigan sports, athletics, and then some you know random interests as well. I'm kind of a, a fan of, of film and some other unique stuff so it's got 
got everything happening that you need to know with MidMichigan, the latest changes that's happening. Even as I'm recording now, there's about to be a Governor Whitmer presser that I imagine will change things up a little bit more just as more things seem to reopen. Hopefully vaccination rates get better, as uh, you've heard us talk a little bit about. That means maybe more of the state can reopen, more sports events can happen again, and we can all have fun. And then hopefully maybe uh, we can even run into each other, too, at a Lugnets game or a Michigan State game or out and about. So thank you so much, guys, for listening. Please subscribe on the podcast app of your choice. And I'll leave a review. really helps us with developing this. gives us feedback, too. And if you have any questions for us, just uh, send a subject uh, for WILX Sportsblitz at newstips at WILX.com. I will be able to see it and read it right then and there. If you've got any feedback, comments, questions, and or smart remarks, I will read it all. If you send it, I will respond. So I really appreciate that when you guys reach out and communicate with us. We are here for the Lansing community, and I have absolutely loved every minute I've been here, and I can't wait to do more. So thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you next time.